Welcome to this week's sermon from the Willoughby United Methodist Church. As the children make their way to children's worship, we'll invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture today, taken out of Acts chapter 2. So would you please stand? So this is the occurrence of the beginning of the church. So let's read it together. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So today we want to... um, to think about this occurrence that we find in Acts chapter 2 in which we celebrate uh, over 2,000 years later. And as we think about that, um, it, it's, it's a powerful moment in the life of the church, but there are some portions of the church that, that really don't take time to recognize or to celebrate it, but we wanted to be able to do that. So uh, we're talking about it's a spirit thing today. So a couple of uh, background notes. One is, the scripture says, it was the day of Pentecost. Now, for us, that may not mean much, but if you, were, if you grew up in the Jewish faith, that would be a big deal for, you, for us, in that the day of Pentecost was one of the major feasts that Jews would have celebrated. Feasts were occasions in which they recognized a major event that had happened in their history. So, penta means 50, And so Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. And if you are familiar with Jewish history at all, you know that Passover was that event which the angel of death came into Egypt where the the Israelites were being enslaved. And unless you had put the blood of a spotless lamb um, on your your doorway, on on, on the entrance into your house, the angel of death would visit your house and your oldest son would, would die. And so you put the blood on there because God had commanded you to do that. Then the angel of death would come and pass over your house and go to the next one. And as long as there was blood, they would keep passing over those houses and they would enter into those homes. So that that was a major feast. The second one then would be Pentecost, which is 50 days later. This was a feast of harvest. This is when they recognized that they had taken in, I think it was the barley harvest, and and they would just give thanks to God for his faithfulness in providing a bountiful harvest. Um, The third thing that that you need to know is it lasted all of one day. So many of the the feasts were really holy days that then became identified as holidays. Um, So they'd be similar to us, like next week, what, what holiday is that? Memorial Day. So in our history, we think of those men and women who have paid the ultimate price in serving their country, and they they lost their lives. And so on Memorial Day, we take time, we set aside that time, and and there are services in communities such as these in which we remember. We take time to remember. And then in July, we'll celebrate 
Fourth of July, our Independence Day in our country. That's a major event. So for Jews, they had occasions such as that. And then one last thing that you, need, that you would need to know is it's one of three what they identified as pilgrimage feast. So the three major feasts in which folks were required early, the Jewish men were required to return to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices were one, Passover, two, Pentecost, and three would be the Feast of Tabernacles or sometimes called the, the Feast of Booths. And it would remind them of those years of wandering in the wilderness when they had no home and, and they would pack up their tent and then travel until God told them to stop and then they would put up the tent and stay until they, it was time to move again. So wherever you lived, finally, eventually it became that that happened, one of, you, you chose one of those. You'd come back to Jerusalem if you lived out of state or out of town. You'd come back at, at Passover. You'd come back maybe at Pentecost or you'd come back at the festival of of uh, the tabernacle which occurred later in the year. So on this particular occasion, a lot of people, a lot of people from out of the country had come back to offer their sacrifices and to offer thanks to God for a bountiful harvest for Pentecost. And so that's the first thing that you need to know. The second thing that you need to know is they were all together. Well, who were the they? They were the disciples of Jesus. Now think about what has happened. They, they saw him crucified and then they celebrated, and on his crucifixion, which you know that he was crucified on Friday, Sabbath, the Passover would have began that night. Friday night was the beginning of the Passover. You remember the Jewish rulers didn't want him still hanging on the cross, so they put a spear in the side, recognized that he was dead. They took him down. They buried him uh, on that Friday before 6 o'clock so that they could celebrate the Passover the next day. So now over those next 50 days, here's what happened. Jesus was resurrected, you remember, on Easter. And then for 40 days, he spent time just showing up in closed, locked rooms while they were fishing. In various places, Jesus would come and he would go. For 40 days, that had happened. And now, in Acts chapter 1, he ascends into heaven. And so they're not going to see him anymore. He goes to heaven, and they watch that happen. But before he leaves them, he, he gives them that, this command. I want you to stay in Jerusalem, he said. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that the Father has promised you. So stay here in Jerusalem. So there were 120 of them. That's how many people that had committed to be disciples and were there during those 40 years. 120. So they stayed together in Jerusalem. For 10 days then, they were praying in the upper room for 10 days. Have you ever tried to pray for 10 days? Okay, let me ask the more practical question. Have you ever tried to pray for 10 minutes? <laughs> Do you know how hard that is? You know, I, and, and I, I'm not making light of that, I'm really not. You set aside a time and say, okay, Lord, for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to pray. What tends to happen? Don't forget to get milk at the store. Oh yeah, I need to mail that letter. I need to answer that email. Oh yeah, there's a phone call I need to make. It's hard to stay focused for even 10 minutes to pray. I know that because I have that same issue. You have to train yourself to do that. So imagine being in an upper room with 120 people and for 10 days you're just waiting for this, this gift this gift that Jesus said the Father was going to give to us, what was it going to be? They really had no idea. They didn't. Jesus didn't give them a lot of clarity, a lot of instruction about that. So they're just waiting. 
So I don't know what all went, I don't know exactly what all happened during those 10 days, but part of my imagination, my sanctified imagination, supposes that there was some confession going on. Maybe Peter confessed that, guys, I'm really sorry that, that I denied that I even knew Jesus, and I can't even believe that I did that. I don't even know where that came from. And, you know, and maybe the other disciples said, you know, Peter, we, we're like you. We all ran away at a time that he really needed us, and, and we're sorry, and maybe there was forgiveness, and, and there was reconciliation that had taken place during those 10 days. I'm sure part of the conversation was about, well, what's going to happen next? You know, what are we going to do? Jesus was with us, and he, he told us we needed to go make disciples out of all nations, and how are we going to do that? We need a plan, and, and what's going to happen next? And what is this gift, and what is this promise? So there was a lot of, you know, kind of like nervousness going on, and, and, and this sense of expectancy, like there's something going to happen, but we don't know what it is. So they were in this upper room, and they were praying. And then it says, while they were there, these 120, and his mother was there, Mary, his brothers were there, which is kind of shocking because earlier in the gospel reading of John, they all thought that he was crazy. <laughs> and now they come to realize, it might have had something to do that one of the first people that Jesus went to in his resurrected form was his brother James, who was not one of his earlier disciples, but now he goes to James, and I'm wondering if James says, this is real, guys. We need to get on board. And so now his brothers are there, his mom's there. 120 people were there, and while they were there, they heard a sound like a violent blowing wind. So they heard this noise that was just rushing into this room. The second thing that happened, they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire. These, what now turn out to be flames, they kind of look like tongues, not very big. And as they entered the room, they landed on every person that was there, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here's what I'm really thankful for that it didn't just land on Peter and John, who would become the leaders of the church, and James. It didn't just land on the leaders. It landed on all 120 people who were there. The Spirit of God is intended for all people, not just certain people, not just people who are leaders in a church. The Spirit of God was intended for all the believers. So, the Holy Spirit came to bring, I think, three things. Really, I think that he probably came to bring a lot more than that, but I just want to talk about three. First of all, he came to bring new life. New life. So they were already living. They were already alive. But this Spirit that came, the Spirit of God, this Holy Spirit, when he came, Jesus said that he was going to bring something more, something different. So I want us to look at this passage in John 3. You may be familiar with this passage, but there are some things here that help us to gain understanding here. So would you read it with me, please? Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God 
unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. You get that? Water and the so it, it seems as though Jesus may be talking about two births there, two lives. One is by water, a natural birth. The second one is by spirit. All right, keep reading. Verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now notice the reference here to the wind. And going back to that Acts chapter 2 passage, remember, it was a violent rushing wind that came in. So here's the interesting thing, is in Greek... Wind is the same word as air, which is the same word as spirit. It's pneuma. Pneuma. How many guys here have a pneumatic nailer in your garage? Yeah. It's the word for wind. Ladies as well. So <laughs> pardon that. Um, so it's the Greek word pneuma, from which we get the word air, from which we get the word wind, from which we get the word spirit. So it's as the wind blew. So one of the interesting things to me is, I think what, part of what Jesus is saying is, you cannot see the wind, but you can know that it's there because of the manifestations, because of the changes, the effects that the spirit that the wind has. You can't see the wind, but when you see the leaves moving, when you see the flags going back and forth, you know that the wind is blowing. And he makes that comparison to the Spirit. You may not be able to see the Spirit, but you know the Spirit is moving because you see the effects. You see the results, the manifestation of the Spirit inside of people. You see the changes that are taking place. So I think that's part of what Jesus is saying here. So he says that the Spirit comes to bring new birth. Now, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people struggled with it. I, I'm still young enough, old enough, however that works, that I remember the 70s and the election of Jimmy Carter. Okay? I remember that. And, and he came out in an interview. Unfortunately, it was in Playboy, but he came out in an interview and basically said, well, I'm a born-again Christian. You remember that? And it caused all this, you know, hubba-baloo. You know, what does that mean? I'm a Christian. What are, you, what are you saying that you're born again? How is that different from just being a regular Christian? What does that mean? And uh, you remember that Jimmy Carter was a Sunday school teacher at Plains, Georgia, in a Baptist church, I believe. And, and so he had this understanding from John chapter 3 that one must be born again. One must experience this new life. 
Billy Graham then, because of the negativity that was wrapped around that, began to talk about being born from above. So what the Spirit does when He comes, He comes to bring us a new life. Now, it's not a new physical life, but this one is a spiritual life. His Spirit now indwells us. The Spirit of God now lives inside of you, which means God lives inside of you. And there's this new beginning of a spiritual life that you didn't have before. And it happens when you put your trust in Jesus as Savior. When you believe in Jesus and confess your faith in Jesus, then he gives you this gift of the Holy Spirit. So think about this, that God lives inside of you. Have you ever thought about that? So up until this point, in the, in the understanding of, of religion, God existed. We knew he existed because Adam saw him, Adam walked with him, but then sin came, and then they ne no one ever saw God again, but God still spoke. Sometimes they would hear it very clearly. Oftentimes he spoke, and it was like thunder. Some didn't really hear it. They just thought it was thunder, but others heard it. The prophets heard it. The kings heard it. And then Jesus came, and he was God walking with people, but now there's this transition. No longer is there God out there somewhere. No longer is there God in the form of a, of a human walking beside us. Now there is God in the form of a spirit that lives inside of us. So everywhere we go, God goes. God sees everything you see. God, God hears everything that you hear. God experiences everything that you experience because he's in you. Now in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and would rest on somebody and help them to accomplish some supernatural task that they could not accomplish on their own. And then when the task was over, the Spirit would leave. But that's not the case now. The Spirit comes to indwell you, and it begins a life of eternity. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. Eternal life begins when you receive the eternal God into your life. I am right now living an eternal life that will never end. It's a spiritual life that God gives to us, gave to the 120 on the day of Pentecost. The second thing that we have is this. The Spirit comes to bring power. Look at this passage in John 1, 8. Would you read it with me, please? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to bring power. Power to do what? You know, power to do miracles? Yeah. Power to bring healing? Yeah. Jesus says, if you say to the mountain, be moved, it shall be moved. If you have faith, power to do magnificent, wonderful, mighty acts? Yes. But here's, I think, maybe one of the mightiest acts. Power to change. Power to change. You see, I, I've known people in my life who didn't believe that it was possible for people to change. Well, they've been that way since they were a child. They were born that way. They're never going to change. I, people tell me that on a regular basis. I don't believe people change. I believe that the way, they were, the way that they were when a kid, that's the way they become as an adult. That's the way they're always going to be. 
I've actually had people say that to me who were members of my church in the past. My response to that is, then we need to lock the doors and go home (laughs) because we're wasting our time. If I don't believe that people can be changed, I'm wasting my time here today. If I don't believe that God has the power to change people's lives, then we all are just here for no good reason at all. And I know people can be changed because I've been changed. But where I see the greatest growth in the modern-day church, if you want to call it a revival, there's something that is taking place in the church that's bubbling up. It's in that area that we identify as recovery ministry. Those folks who battle addictions. They, they find themselves addicted to whatever that may be, whether that's pornography, whether that's gambling, whether that's alcohol, whether that may be drugs. They find themselves addicted to those vices of the world. And where else are they going to turn? And they turn to God. And they find the power to overcome an addiction today. And then tomorrow they call out to God again, and he gives them the power to overcome that battle for today. That's change. You have the power to change. Not because you work harder, not because, not because you do more stuff, not because you go to X amount of meetings. You have the power to change because God gives you that power through his Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. And not just for those who are battling battling addictions. Those who who are struggling with with anxiety. Those who are struggling with, with just fear. God gives us the power to break those cycles in our lives. And to find release from that. And to be made new by the renewing of our minds. By the growth of our faith. So he gives us the ability to change, and then he gives us the power to live a life that he wants you to live. We've been talking about this for the last two months. Live a life of fulfillment. Live a life that you were created to live, that that he prepackaged you to live. You can do that because the Spirit of God, who has this tremendous power, now lives inside of you to bring that into effect. It is real. And he wants you to live that kind of life. Well, the third thing that he brings is he brings unity into the church. The Spirit of God came in order the church would be one. So there are a couple passages of Scripture here. Read this one with me in in Ephesians chapter 2. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives. It is the Holy Spirit that comes to unify churches. I can't tell you how many churches have divisions inside of them. I can't tell you how many churches are, are not truly focused on the same purposes and the same, and, and, and the same direction. Part of the church is doing this, and part of the church is doing that, and part of the church is doing their own thing. God calls us to have one purpose, to serve Him and Him only. 
God calls us to have unity. And oftentimes, that's the biggest battle that we face in the church, is this disunity, people doing their own thing. Well, here's this second passage. It's found in Ephesians 4. Read it with me. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in and all. Now, if that doesn't shout unity, I'm not sure what is. When I was appointed to come to Willoughby United Methodist Church, I received an apostolic letter from the bishop, Bishop Hopkins at the time. And the first thing that he wanted me to work on when I came to Willoughby United Methodist Church was unity in this church. Because the word had come to the cabinet that we were a church of three different congregations. That's what the cabinet knew about us. That we were three different congregations. We weren't one. So some might say that now we're two congregations. But I think that we've begun to make some headway into finding unity. That it's not about my service or your service. It's about our service that we offer unto God. It's not about my style and your style. It is about pouring ourselves out before God in order that we may live a life that pleases and honors him. And we're trying to do that. Are we there yet? I don't think we're exactly there yet, but I think God is moving us in that direction. Where there is disunity, that is not of God. Now, let me just say this as I close this. So do I think that it was wrong for us to have a contemporary worship service? My short answer is no. What I think was wrong is that some people began to put people on sides. Oh, you're a 9 o'clock person? Oh, you're an 11 o'clock person? Oh, you're a contemporary? Oh, you're a traditional? That's when you get divisions. And that's when we break unity. We are called to pray for one another. We are called to love one another. Because they have the same spirit in them that I have in me. And when we love and pray and encourage one another, that's when we find unity. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. If you believe that, say amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like to contact the church for more information or to speak with one of our pastors, please call us at 440-942-9068. Background music for this recording provided by bensound.com.